Where is the center of global Christianity? Did you know that in recent years, there has been a shift in that center of global Christianity? It's not in America anymore. The average Christian on earth today is young, female, black or brown, from the global south, poor and uneducated. How does this change how we do missions? What does this mean for the Western church? Welcome to the Unconventional Ministry Podcast. I'm Dennis Weens, your host, Senior Impact Catalyst for SAT7 USA. I've invited Dr. Alan Ye as Professor of Intercultural Studies and Missiology at Biola University to join us today. Biola, of course, is one of America's leading Christian universities. Dr. Alan is with us to help us process and unpack this amazing shift in global Christianity and the new center. I looked on Dr. Allen's LinkedIn profile, and it says theological publishing, pastoral ministry, teaching at undergraduate and graduate levels. His specialties are missiology, homiletics, history, and ecumenicism. So, Dr. Alan Ye, welcome to the Unconventional Ministry Podcast. Thank you, Dennis. I'm really glad to be here. And we just found out in visiting that uh, you know our CEO of SAT7, Rita Almunayir. So already some small world stories have come out of this uh, podcast conversation. Yes, fantastic. Rita is wonderful. I really am glad that I got the chance to know her. So you're a professor at one of America's major Christian universities. Let's start with what your role is. I know you're a professor of intercultural ministry, but I'm sure you do far more than that. Uh, let's start with what your role is there at that major university. Yeah. Um, in addition to teaching uh, what I do, um, I also have a, a lot of uh, outside um, ministries as well. Uh, I serve on boards of uh, theological seminaries like the International Theological Seminary uh, within and the Foundation for Theological Education in Southeast Asia. I also, within Biola, direct something called the Malcolm Initiative, uh, which is uh, an initiative to uh, fund arts and missions projects. So that's really a wonderful intersection. And also I teach classes, not just in missions, but specifically in global Christianity or world Christianity. The difference between missions and world Christianity is that missions studies where the gospel has not gone yet. Whereas world Christianity studies where the gospel has already gone and where it is flourishing, particularly in what we call the majority world, Africa, Asia, Latin America, the Caribbean, the Pacific, and even um, ethnic minorities within the West and the indigenous. So it sounds like you stay very, very busy. I do. So where, where did this interest in uh, missions come from? Yeah, uh, I can trace several sources of this interest. One is when I was in college, I attended the Urbana Missions Conference sponsored by InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Right. And it was at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign back then, uh, which is where it got its name. But Urbana was very formative. And I it's one of the few times in my life I, I could probably practically hear God audibly speaking to me. And he said, you know, I'm calling you to uh, missions, but I didn't know in what form. I didn't know if I would be a missionary or a missions mobilizer, or a missions pastor, or missions professor. And of course, I ended up being a missions professor. And I, I'd say that when I was also at Gordon Conwell Seminary, another influential person was Dr. Timothy Tennant. He's now the president of Asbury Seminary in Kentucky, but back then he was my missions professor, and he was very influential to me in uh, leading me towards missions. And then even today, uh, another Gordon Conwell person would be 
uh, Dr. Todd Johnson, who runs the Center for Global Christianity at Gordon-Conwell. I can name a bunch of other names uh, like Dana Robert and Andrew Walls and Lamansane, but uh, yeah, those are some of my influences. So you've had a lot of good uh, mentors in your life to get you where you are today. So we want to visit about this new paradigm in the global center of global Christianity, a person that is young, female, black or brown, from the global south, poor and uneducated. I mean, this is going to be really different thinking for most Americans sitting in the Western church to think that the center of Christianity is no longer America. So help us understand, unpack this pivot for us. Yeah, this is um, in some ways not something that new. I would say that uh, the person who founded this field of the study of world Christianity, who identified this phenomenon was Andrew Walls, professor at the University of Edinburgh in Scotland. And he died just a few years ago. Um, God rest his soul. Uh, But Andrew Walls, uh, back in 2000. Eight was identified by Christianity Today as the most important person you don't know. <laughs> because mm-hmm. it, way back in the late 90s, in 1996, he wrote a book called The Missionary Movement in Christian History, which identified that all these trends of the shift of the center of gravity of Christianity having been moved to the majority world. And um, but nobody really paid that much attention to him except for for a few like egghead academics <laughs> like myself. And so, but I, I saw something in Andrew Walls and I thought, this guy is amazing, and I want to follow in his footsteps. So really, he's my academic hero. Uh, this shift uh changes everything. So if Andrew Walls is the most important person you don't know, then I would say that world Christianity is the most important subject that most Christians don't know about. And right. so uh, we we tend to think that uh, Christianity is still centered in the West, and 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 we do missions from that perspective. We we do missions from the West to the rest, uh, but really missions should be from everyone to everywhere. So I wrote a book called Polycentric Missiology with that subtitle. But I remember going to Kenya uh, some years ago, and probably around two thousand nine, I think, is when I went. Um, and when I got there, it was the most Christian country I've ever been to in my entire life. Uh, and this is pretty representative of Sub-Saharan Africa. Sub-Saharan Africa is arguably the most Christian place on earth right now. And we, But we are seeing um, female, global south, black or brown, poor, uneducated, um, and female, and all of those things at work. So then I thought to myself, what am I doing here in Kenya uh, they have more Christians than we do. Should we call a moratorium on missions? What's the point of me coming over? And then I realized something. Actually, they still do need missions, but not missions in the form of evangelism. You see, they can do the evangelism themselves. They know the language, the culture better than we do. And it's so expensive to fly us all the way over there, but they're already there. Um, but what do they need? They need equipping, discipleship, training, and books, and funding. That's what they need. And so, but if they have those things, then they can actually implement their missions. And um, a book came out some years ago called The Africa uh, Bible Commentary, and it was written all by African scholars, Christian scholars. And they said, you know, Christianity in Africa is a mile wide, but an inch deep, right? There's a lot of breadth. There's a tons of people. A lot of evangelism, uh, but 
inch deep. There's very little discipleship or training or maturity. And so I think that's what has changed. This is not your grandparents' mission anymore. This is a new world where everything is flipped on its head. That's very interesting. And, you know, as you look back to some of your your mentors, and you maybe can talk about some of the trends that led to this uh, new paradigm shift, and then we'll talk about how we should change how we think about missions. But can you identify some of the trends going way back that led to this center shift? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think part of it is that, so when colonialism was removed uh, and separated from missions, uh, because so so much in the past, especially during the 1800s, this was called the great century of missions, where colonial missions uh, unfortunately went hand in hand. Um, and even though there was an explosion of Christianity around the world, uh, it was often associated with um, Western culture as well. Um, and then in the 20th century, uh, Christianity really started to decline. 20th century was arguably the most secular century in human history. Um, but when some of the colonialism started um, being removed, people thought, well, Christianity in a lot of these majority world nations will decline as well because they were only uh, being Christian because they were forced to by Westerners. Um, actually, the opposite happened. So as colonialism left, people said, you know what? Now we, we can be free to do Christianity ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. So this is the phenomenon known as the three self movement. And people mistakenly think that's the Chinese communist church. That is the three self patriotic movement, the TSPM, but that's not what I'm talking about here. Uh, what I'm talking about is this concept from two missiologists from the 19th century, uh, Henry Venn from Britain and Rufus Anderson from the United States. And they said that wherever missionaries go, back then it was Western missionaries, uh, they should get the local indigenous people to become uh, self-sustaining, self-propagating and self-governing, right? So uh, they need to, the local Christians need to raise their own funds, not rely on Western funds. That's self-sustaining. They need to be self-propagating. They need to do all the evangelism themselves, not just have Western missionaries do it. And then they need to be self-governing. It needs to not be Westerners who are being the pastors and the church leaders. The local people need to become their own pastors and church leaders. So and that's the three self church. And so basically Westerners were Western missionaries were having to work themselves out of a job, but that is the ideal. So, and that is what we're seeing now. And so you're seeing this, th these younger and newer churches just exploding because now they are independent and now they get to actually do Christianity from their own context. Plus I would actually argue this is a bit of a reformation because this is kind of a back to the first century. The first century church, what did it look like? It was poor, marginalized, and oppressed, and poor, you know, under-resourced. And, and in most of uh, European history, the church has actually been tied together with riches and power. And, and, and I feel like in some ways, we're, we're getting a return back to the, in some ways, the authentic church, the original church. And, and also people in the majority world, Africa, Asia, and Latin America can see Christianity for what it truly is. Uh, they, they look in the Bible and they're like, oh yeah, I understand all these agrarian metaphors, which of course we in the West don't. Right? Right. Uh, we don't know anything about shepherding or, you know, about mustard seeds or anything like that. And they also geographically and culturally are more similar to biblical times. Um, I mean, Africa is is right next to the Middle East, which is where Christianity started, right? So they they get that. And then a lot of 
Uh, majority of world cultures are also um, honor shame based and also collectivistic. And so these are things that actually uh, it, they resonate with in the Bible and they see those clearly in the Bible. And we in the West are individualistic and more innocence guilt based. Right. And we don't see those things right? Right. <laughs> blinded to those realities. And so I feel like our brothers and sisters in the majority world can help us to see the Bible more clearly. Absolutely. You already alluded to it. We need to think different about missions with this new reality. What would you like to see in the Western Church and the American Church, realizing that the you know the new center of global Christianity is over maybe in Africa? How would you like to see the American Church react to this? Yeah, that's great. There's so much we can learn. So the the thing I talked about earlier was we need to not call a moratorium on missions, but we need to change what we do in missions, which is to equip and disciple and train. Um, but we also need to do that without paternalism. So that's a little bit of a tricky thing. I heard a great quote one time from Sri Lankan theologian D.T. Niles, who said that evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Okay, that that is, I think, encapsulates it, right? We should not presume that we have all the knowledge. We should instead say, Jesus is the one that's knowledge, uh, has all the knowledge, and we just point to him, right? Rather than point to mm-hmm. ourselves. And so that needs to be the reality. Um, also, missions changes because uh, we're seeing reverse mission now. We're seeing people from uh, the majority world coming to the West to evangelize. Uh, we are actually seeing... Uh, the uh, evangelism and missions go cross-cultural, but it doesn't necessarily even have to leave the country because if people are under-resourced financially, it's hard for them to fly overseas. But what can they do? They can actually go uh, somewhere else in their own country and minister. So you see this in India, which is, they call it a subcontinent because even though it's one country, it really has so many different languages and cultures and religions and none of them are really related to each other. And so um, you can literally go across the street and minister to someone completely different from you. Uh, you. You see this in Africa as well. And so as the world becomes more globalized and multicultural, um, that is a reality that you don't have to go overseas to uh, reach uh, diverse audiences. And so, and then we are also uh, seeing that um, people are able to do theology from their own context, which we in the West desperately need. And so it can correct some of our theological errors, as I mentioned earlier, such as seeing the gospel only as innocence guilt instead of seeing it as honor shame, which I I would even argue that that's more of what the gospel is. And also the collectivism instead of the individualism, I would argue that that's actually more of where the gospel goes. And yeah. also that um, the, the the gospel is the kingdom of God. It's just a much larger thing. Yeah. Very good points. And the one thing I've noticed about internationals that are coming to do church planning, the vast majority are bivocational. So they have a different uh, model of economics, uh, of support. Uh, it's pretty interesting. And that's biblical too, right? That's called tent making. <laughs> so that's right. We, we in the West do faith missions, which is we, we fundraise, but actually the Apostle Paul did tent making, which is what they're doing, bivocational. Yes. Right. So you teach at Biola University. What is Biola doing in terms of innovation in intercultural ministries and internships and at the university, I'm sure they're very innovative. Give our podcast listeners an idea of where uh, Baal is going in all of this. Right. Well, I have to give a little bit of history here. 
Going all the way back to the Edinburgh 1910 World Missionary Conference, which was one of the most famous missions conferences in history in Scotland. But in 1910, the person who was in charge of this, the director of the conference was John Armott, an American. But he actually had this watchword, this cry that which he said, it's the evangelism of the world in our generation. And he meant this for college students. And so at Biola, we still do this. Um, back then, he mobilized the YMCA and the SVM, which is the student volunteer movement. And at Biola, we have the last vestige of the SVM today, which is the SMU, the Student Missionary Union. It is our students who organize and lead missions. It is our students who run the, our missions conference on campus. Now, why are college students the best missionaries? Because historically, and also uh, contemporaneously, uh, number one, uh, they are unattached. They're usually not married. They don't have kids. So they're flexible. They can go anywhere in the world. Number two, they're in the prime of their health. So they they, they can uh, weather any storm physically because they, they're very resilient. Um, and uh, number three, they're very zealous. They, they are passionate and they're on fire for the Lord. And number four, they're educated. They're co college educated. So they're some of the smartest people out there. And so you combine all of those things. They make great missionaries. And we see, you know, way back then, people like uh, Borden of Yale and C.T. Studd and all these guys. So um, who went overseas and um, em emboldened college students to take it. And so we are still doing that at Biola. I think that is one of our most innovative things. And I think that culture needs to not just be seen as ethnicity and nationality, but as age. Um, so we are, uh, one of the things we're really focused on is ministry to and through Generation Z. One of our Sat7 volunteers, Dr. Tom Nash, when he came back from doing radio in the mission field, introduced media to Baula University. And it was really questioned decades ago, but now it's one of your largest areas of study and emphasis there at Baula. So um, appreciate the work of Dr. Tom Nash uh, there at uh, Baula University. Of course, retired now. That's right. So if you want to know more about the university, go to baola.edu. And uh, there are places where people, our podcast listeners can go to read some of your works or follow some of your initiatives. Yes. So um, I don't have a website per se, but uh, you can uh, follow me on Twitter at Alan Elie. And also uh, you can look into my books, as I had mentioned, uh, Polycentric Missiology and also Majority World Theologies. Now, that one is an edited volume with Dr. Tit Tianu, who is the former dean of Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Chicago. And uh, Dennis, you'll appreciate this. Uh, Dr. Tianu is originally from Cote d'Ivoire. So um, here you have a majority world African leader who was leading one of the top seminaries in the United States. And so that was very forward thinking of TEDS to do that. Uh, but we are needing and seeing uh, more and more majority world leadership uh, going on. It's very good. And I thank you for coming on the Unconventional Ministry podcast to share your perspectives and update our podcast listeners. And we encourage you to share this uh, episode with your missions team, your pastor, your leadership, and with your friends to bring all of your friends up to date on where missions is today. And again, thank you for joining the Unconventional Ministry podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This is the Unconventional Ministry Podcast. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please share it with your friends and leave a comment. 
Sat7 is a Middle East and North Africa broadcast media ministry making God's love visible and the gospel available to everyone in the Middle East and North Africa. Sat7 USA has resources in helping you honor God while protecting your family. You can avoid another regret, which is the failure of not creating an estate plan. Through a partnership with Financial Planning Ministry, Sat7 USA provides Christian experts to assist you in preparing your will or trust, all at no financial cost to you. Visit www.sat7usa.org and click on the tab Planned Giving for more information. Sat7 simplifies the process and makes it easy for you so that your family and friends don't have to bear the burden and regret of your failure to create an estate plan. Thank you again for joining this episode of the Unconventional Ministry Podcast.